Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and in this podcast series, I interview physicians, medical innovators, and entrepreneurs making an impact on healthcare. This podcast is produced by DaVinci Academy, a multimedia medical education company that provides podcasts, video courses, and digital textbooks. You can see more on our website, www.dbiacademy.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash DaVinci Academy Med. This podcast is sponsored by Doc2Doc, the personal lending platform designed for doctors by doctors. Do you have some big expenses in the near future? Maybe you're moving, applying to residency or fellowship, fixing up your car or home, or starting a new practice. Doc2Doc believes that traditional lenders overestimate the risk of lending money to doctors, residents, and medical students, focusing too much on the challenges of their financial past and giving them insufficient credit for the promise of their financial future. Check out Dr. Doc's personal loan options at drdoclending.com slash DaVinci. Hey everybody, welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. This week I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Zwadi uh, Marshall, a interventional pain management physician in Atlanta, and then also the co-founder and CEO of Dr. Doc, an affiliate partner of DaVinci Academy and the DaVinci Hour podcast. So Dr. Marshall, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Dr. Cooper, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So, um, you know, we're both physicians in Atlanta, which is which is really cool. We we were just as we were talking before the recording, we know some of the same people, which is pretty cool. But what I think is so fascinating is is um, you know, you're an independent practice. You're an entrepreneur of many sorts. You know, you've started your own practice. You started another company. But you know, I gave you a little bit of an intro. Maybe give us a little bit of background, like where you went to school, where you did residency training, and then kind of maybe a general overview of your practice. Sure, sure. So I'm a I'm a proud. Uh, uh, first generation American. Um, you might notice a slight accent when I speak. It's it's Caribbean a little. Um, from British Guyana, from Guyana. Uh, moved here when I was 16 years old. To my family wanted me to go to college in the United States, uh, and um, and uh, we moved here for me. So there was that kind of family sacrifice for my educational journey. Went to Emory for college. Stayed at Emory for uh, uh, medical school and business school. I was a high school math teacher briefly in between there, but I was an econ undergrad at Emory and um, loved the the culture and the people and the mentors uh, at Emory itself. And so stayed there for quite some time. Um, they call us Emroids when you've done multiple degrees at Emory and it's synonymous, homonymous with hemorrhoid. Uh-huh. And I've got the, the, the battle scars of student loan debt uh, to show for it. Um, after uh, medical and business school, I went on to Harvard to do my residency in anesthesiology. Uh, I was at Brigham and Women's Hospital there, and then uh, I was chief resident in my final year, and then um, uh, stayed on at Harvard for my interventional pain uh, specialist uh, uh, fellowship uh, at Harvard as well. Moved back to Atlanta now six years ago, uh, recruited back here by a large private equity-backed interventional pain groups. So I worked, you know, for the man, with the man uh, for some period of time, but it was an incredible learning opportunity for me to have a seat at the table to how um, big money views medicine and procedural medicine. Uh, And uh, it inspired my decision to leave and open up my own practice uh, that that I'm now sitting in right now. So uh, I have a surgery center um, in Fayetteville, Georgia, near to the airport, South Atlanta, 
and I have a satellite secondary location in Buckhead as well. Wow, that's that's amazing. I mean, so you're you're essentially living the dream. You you've gone out on your own. You got your own place. That's that's amazing. I I'm curious. You I guess how did you? I want to get a little bit into like how you've built your practice. Cause that's unfortunately that's not as common these days as it as it once was. And so I'm curious. You know what? How did you go out and acquire? You know the facilities that you're in, like hiring staff. Like how how did you go about? You know, making all that that transition from being a part of a group to kind of tackling things on your own. Sure. So you're right. It's, it's living the dream. I think, I think I've always aspired to own my own practice and to be my own boss, but it doesn't feel like a dream on five out of seven days. Uh, the, and I, I, I listened to your Mark Cuban podcast and uh, I can certainly, um I can certainly understand his point about physicians being chief executives, having a lot of struggles uh, because a lot of what we've been trained to do in our academic backgrounds it's it's the individual contributor role. We may be a part of a team, but ultimately, you know, we're relying upon our skills, our training. I went in, into a specialty in which I was trained for the events that happen 0.2% of the time, right? 99.8% of my patient interactions and in anesthesia will be completely uneventful. But I feel like my adrenaline gets going when it's those that 0.2% of the time. Well, that personality leading a team with nurse practitioners, OR nurses, medical assistants, scribes, schedulers. There's a a level of impatience that we generally have because of our personalities. There's a level of perfection that we expect of ourselves. And oftentimes you kind of have to take a step back and think to yourself, is the job, can the job be done effectively without me having my fingerprints over it? Even if it's not done the way I would have wanted it to be done, or even as well as I would, have, I would have done it. Do we have enough there to accomplish the task? And uh, and and it's it's been a struggle, you know, in terms of checking my my personality frailties and some of my my uh, my quirks. But to your question more directly, I think um while I was at a large private equity back group, I got a sense of 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 exactly what the business of medicine really means. I went to business school as well, so I have an MBA and I did. Uh, a lot of um, uh, organizational management courses in business school. But when you come out of, of a specialized training program in medicine, you feel like an imposter in a couple of different ways. I was just recruited to a firm that paid me multiples of what I got paid as a, as a resident. And in some sense, you're like, do I deserve this paycheck for the work that I'm doing? Because I'm new at this. And so you end up questioning your clinical acumen and makes you a lot more diligent as an early stage uh, physician on your own, right? And then there's the other part of things where you really don't understand whether or not you know how to grow a business because in academic medicine, you don't have to do that. At Harvard, you sit there and the patients come to the branded institution. Now I have to get out there and beat the pavement. I have to meet doctors that can refer to my practice. I have to talk to the internist and explain exactly what I do and how I do it and why I'm differentiated and why you got to send your patients to me over the next guy. Uh, I have to, you know, have a persona that's, that's welcoming and, and warm to patients. I treat people in pain. So I'm seeing them when they're not at their best and you've got to have a welcoming, open personality and understanding that, that some folks may not, you know, be at their best when they communicate with you. Uh, in their best mood, in their best physical spirit, and and being being warm and inviting to them in that sense, all of those things 
drive reviews, which, you know, we're all now beholden to because, you know, several bad reviews can really, you know, uh, catapult uh, a practice negatively. Um, and, and so I had the chance within that large private equity-backed group to see the metrics, to see the KPIs, to, to track and trend how they measure visits to conversions, to procedures, what drives revenue, the time that we spend with patients and how people perceive the time that you actually did spend. So if I sit down in the exam room, as opposed to standing up and speaking, it gives the impression that I was there for 74% longer than I really was, right? Uh, if you touch people, uh, the impact of, of, of having them, you're communicating to them in a therapeutic alliance that you hear their complaint and it's reassuring, but it also, it conveys a level of empathy that, that I want to convey. And so once I started to learn all the things that kind of helped to grow my practice within that large organization, I looked at the math of what I made, the check that I was so proud of a few years before, and the value that I was creating, and I wanted to capture more of that value for myself and my family as opposed to to a, to a private equity-backed organization. Yeah, sure. No, that makes sense. I mean, making making the patient feel like they're more engaged in the visit, like you're more engaged in the visit. I think that's, you know, those it's the small things that maybe get overlooked and that you necessarily can't quantify, but they do. When you do quantify things, they make a difference. That's, I think that's really interesting. So I'm curious, you know, how did you, you know, like you said, we're, we're doctors, we're trained to treat patients and, you know, go down the treatment algorithm and, and, you know, do procedures and all that. I guess, how did you go about like, hiring a staff, like, you know, getting your, your clinic and procedure space and all that kind of thing. I mean, where, where did you learn to do that? And, and, and how did you go about doing that? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I'm, I'm now almost three years removed from it. So I can speak candidly here, but, uh, if anyone's thinking about doing something similar, read your contract on the employment side, their restrictive covenants. So the first thing I had to do was make sure I got outside of my, uh, non-compete zone. And I did. There's also non-solicitation clauses of, of employees. And so you can't tell the nurses that you work with that you want to leave and they should leave with you. Um, I was lucky enough, though, that many of them called me, uh, which was, uh, it was validating in many ways where, you know, I thought I was going to do this thing. I was nervous about it. But to know that the people that had worked with me for the previous four years believed in my ability to create something that was worth them quitting their jobs and, and following me to, 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 uh, to, to work with me, um, uh, really validated my, my dream. And so, um, I got lucky in that regard with my first, my first three employees were all people that I knew that I'd worked with that said, Hey doc, we want to come with you wherever you are. Um, and then the process of, of recruiting is still a challenge in, 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 in this current uh, economy, especially a year ago, you know, it really was the, um, the, uh, the employee, market where employers were having a tough time finding talent that would stay and commit to you. And so I ended up offering employment packages that were above market. I paid above above market-based salaries. I uh, Because it was a new business, I wanted to have my earliest employees become invested into it. So I bonused based upon uh, 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 KPIs and milestones that we accomplished together. Uh, I was keen to celebrate victories whenever we had them. And word travels fast. So uh, a lot of my earliest team t 
told others within their organizations and then others came on afterwards. And I had, I had the, the, the lucky experience of being able to interview multiple folks for the same position. Now, it doesn't mean that I haven't had turnover, right? With all of those things, you'll still find that it's really challenging at times to recruit and retain, not at the top of your pay spectrum. It's not the, 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 the nurse practitioners and the OR nurses. It's the scribes and the medical assistants and the folks that you really need to find a way to engage them into the vision of the business uh, because they'll leave one job to go to another one for 75 cents more per hour, you know? Uh, and and so having knowing that, that that's a, a blind spot in many businesses, that, the, that you're only as good as the weakest link or the folks that are perceived to be the weakest link, but they're not, you know? Like if I, if I don't have someone answering the phone that really believes in the practice vision, then patients will get a sense of this is not a destination practice. And they need to feel that when the person, the phone says, hello, good morning, welcome to RSPS. Uh, and so uh, there's a little bit of that learning curve that I had to climb in my own as well. But um, uh, financing, and we'll talk about Dr. Locke in a moment, but that is always a challenge for us because uh, for many of us come out of training with student loan debt, then we've got credit card debt because of the cost of medical education and residency training. It's often the case that we earn less than we have to spend. And if you have a family, forget about it. You know, good luck, you know, raising uh, uh, two kids and having a wife within a residency program. Uh, and so there are not many financial partners in the marketplace that truly understand the physician's journey and truly understand not just the personal sacrifice, but the financial toll that medical education and training takes on us. Our FICO scores are oftentimes subprime, not because of bankruptcy or collections activities, but our debt to income ratios are askew and no fault of ours, right? We're mortgaging our youth. The time in our lives when our peers are you know, starting their families, buying their second homes, we're in the library with backpacks on and textbooks studying for exams and hoping and hoping to pass our boards. So so the the physician sojourn is a really arduous one. Um, I think people respect us and they kind of get a sense that we work really hard, but we don't communicate to each other the financial hardship that we're experiencing because we're embarrassed about it. Uh, and so we often suffer in silence and we think that having a 635 FICO score means that we're somewhat lesser of a human than your banker buddy who's got an A10. Um, and we don't, and we discount the, the the impact of all of the external factors that influence how we get to that next stage in our careers and that that adversely impacts our overall financial health. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's an excellent point. I guess one th last thing I want to ask you about uh, with building your practice was, you know, come, when you go out on your own, I guess, building referrals, I guess, you know, that's always you know, no matter where you are, that's something you have to do. But like you said, when you were at, you know, at, at Harvard, that maybe that's a little bit easier because you have a big, you know, health network and you have the brand name. I guess, how did you, especially in those early days, how did you go about, you know, building your referral base? Yeah, I think um, I opened my practice just at the uh, beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and so it was, it was a gift and a curse, to be honest. The many groups were shutting down uh, out of fear in the early days of, of the pandemic. And, um, and I, you know, as many of us are pretty evidence-based and, and had a level of confidence in 
in, in the protocols of treatment so that so I was able to absorb a lot of patients that couldn't find somewhere else to go. Uh, and then I realized that for me to retain them after they came, I had to offer something better than others would. So I'm interventional pain. The, the stereotype of a practice like mine is that we get the dumps. We get the patients after they've been to see their PCP with their back pain. The PCP says, uh, go see your neurosurgeon. The neurosurgeon then does a surgery and sends them to see a physiatrist for rehab therapy. And then if there's still pain, they go see a pain management doctor. And so many pain docs build their practices. They have a, a kind of aura of narcotics, of you've got nowhere else to go, so you're going to come see me and you'll know you'll wait eight weeks for an appointment because no one else will see you faster. Whereas I wanted to create a brand around being higher in the treatment algorithm. Instead of seeing me after you've seen your neurosurgeon and physiatry and the, see me earlier on, let me help you. Let me be the quarterback for your care. That way I can help to guide and advise uh, for you to avoid surgery. Let's get you into a great physical therapy or comprehensive pain program. So I built the practice to look like a place where you're going to get better. So I had a, a designer come in and my lobby looks like a hotel lobby, right? The um, I market directly to the consumer. So I've bucked the trend of, of hiring a marketing staff that goes out and just does lunches with doctors. Because uh, then you're making the doctor the gatekeeper for your referrals. But people care about their physician's training. And I'm, I went to Emory and Harvard and double board certified. That helps with direct-to-consumer marketing. So uh, uh, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn were powerful marketing tools because 100 million Americans have chronic pain. And within my demographic area, there's enough patients that'll see my, see my picture, hear my voice and say, you know what? I have that problem or my mom does or my brother does. Let's get into Dr. Marshall. That's awesome. I mean, essentially, you know, focusing on the patients. I mean, I, I've heard other physicians and it sounds like this, this has worked for you that, that often your patients are your best advocates and your, your biggest referral base. <laughs> they'll tell their church, they'll tell their golf buddies. Um, and, uh, you do a good job and, and, and word spreads and then marketing becomes less of a thing. Then, then you think about how do you expand and how do you scale to Mark Cuban's point, right? Like how do you right. get, how do you multiply the experience? That's a problem that that's a real problem because as you grow, they get less of me. I'm now hiring a team of mid-level practitioners and partners uh, to join my practice, which diminishes the experience of that first patient who told you about me, where I sat down with them for 27 minutes to go over their MRI findings. Now they're seeing a nurse practitioner and say, is it the same experience that you have? And so finding ways to kind of multiply your efforts and still create a high quality care uh, is increasingly important particularly when we have the downward pressure on insurance reimbursement and Medicare rates, that it's just hard to build that therapeutic alliance if you're not spending 30 minutes with a patient. So they're creating an experience, creating having a, you know, a running video in the exam room of what a, what a spine model looks like, what's a herniated disc, where does an epidural go, what is an RFA? So as they're sitting there doing the paperwork, they're getting educated with resources at the same time having each member of my team provide some value add to their overall experience. And then just treating them nicely, offering coffee, sparkling water, a soda while they wait. It's all part of, they should think of me and coming to see me 
and think about it positively and not like say, shucks, I got to go to the doctor today. I got to devote, you know, a half day for that visit. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think that's something that probably can be overlooked is the, is the, the full experience from, you know, door to door, not just when they see you, you know, in the exam room, but also, you know, how they're greeted, how, th- how they're taken care of, you know, from exactly door to door. I guess uh, segueing a little bit, you know, and I think you touched a little bit on this when you went on on your own is, is what was the what was the impetus for starting Doc to Doc and maybe give us a little bit of an overview of, you know, what Doc to Doc is, what's what's kind of your mission and the services you guys provide? Sure. So I just matched um, into residency at Harvard. Uh, match day at Emory was exciting. Uh, celebrated us. I had my my fiance at the time, my now wife, my mom was there and I got my top choice. And Quickly after I'd matched, then the the realization set in that I needed to get first last month's rent broker fee, going from a low cost of living city, which Atlanta was back at that time, it's no longer as low cost of living as it used to be, to one of the highest rental markets in the country in Boston. And the 17,000 bucks that I needed, I didn't have it. And my family didn't have it to give to me. Uh, So I applied for loans in the credit markets for my relocation or transition expense. And I was surprised to realize that they viewed my subprime FICO score, my 54,000 bucks a year as a resident at Harvard, my student loan debt, which was north of 200K. They saw me as a subprime borrower and either denied my loan request or they gave me a credit card interest rate. And the whole thing felt unfair because I'd done nothing irresponsible around money in my life. I just didn't make any, right? I was studying the whole time. What Doc to Doc does is that we give you credit for your educational journey. We care about your specialty, where you're training, how many years you have until you graduate, um, uh, your zip code of practice, all as a way to enhance that application profile to get you a rate that's that's more competitive to the marketplace. We created features in our loan that are gonna be helpful and friendly for a doctor, like no prepayment penalties. Many of us will go from earning 54,000 bucks a year in one year to moonlighting and earning 120,000 bucks in that next year, and then signing on to a final contract of making 300,000 bucks a year. So we say, when you can afford to pay us off, pay us off, and we'll welcome that without charging you any fees for the interest that we lose. Many of our doctors as well will find that their FICO profiles will progress upward over the course of their time with us because they're earning more, they're paying on time, they're, they're, they're consolidating high interest debt with our loan. And should that happen, we will refinance them with us to a lower rate. So imagine that. If we're getting a high rate from you and, and we see that you've, you've gotten better in your profile, we'll give you credit for it and get you a lower rate within our program itself. So it's all meant to be a doctor's resource, right? Uh, because we're doctors too. We're empathetic to it. We know that there's transition costs. There are also the life happens stuff. Your basement gets flooded in residency. You need to get 8,000 bucks. Or you need to have the equity to borrow a larger loan to open your own practice. So you're going to get a commercial practice loan for a half a million dollars. And you need to have 100,000 bucks of your own money personally. We will fund that loan for you. Um, we created our process to be uh, as frictionless as possible. The application on our website takes about three minutes. We've we've tech-enabled responses so that we can do a soft credit check, no hard pulls. 
Uh, we can look up your NPI number in the background to see if you are, you are indeed a registered physician um, and then use that algorithm to get a, an approval in, in a matter of minutes. And then we can fund that loan in a matter of days. That's amazing. I mean, it's it, it, a number of things important that you said there. You know, one that we, we pay the penalty on top of all the sacrifice we do to become doctors. We, we in, a, in a way, we almost pay a penalty to to with some of the traditional you know lenders out there. So I think it's amazing what you and your co-founders have have built it with Doctor Doc. And from what I understand, it's you know I like you're saying it's by doctors for doctors, and um, you know it's essentially it's, it's it's exclusively for physicians, and then from what I understand, dentists as well. Is that correct? That's exactly correct, and it resonates with doctors because over ninety five percent of our of our investors are physicians. Oh, wow. uh, and so, so it's, it's this beautiful ecosystem of people that understand the struggle that say, Hey, we want to, we want to help a company that's going to help, help serve the servants is how we think of it. Um, and, uh, and it's been a large part of our success. You know, we issued our first loan in a pilot program uh, back in 2019, um, set up a formal lending uh, facility in, uh, in early 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, and we've grown three x year over year between then and now uh, in uh, in loan origination volume and revenue, uh, revenue even 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 larger. And so we're, we're we're thrilled about the success. We know that there's a lot more that we can do. Um, we envision ourselves becoming the USAA for doctors. Right? If you think that you need uh, a financial product, we want folks to think of us first. They should think about the experience they get with us. That we have a concierge service to make them feel uh, welcomed to our community, but also with respect for their time. You know, the typical IR resident, you know, goes into the hospital as early as 6 a.m. and won't get home until after 6 p.m. Well, when would you call a bank to get a loan? When would you call them to verify your income, right? So our team is responsive and flexible for after hours, nights and weekends. So we're available when you're available. Um, it's all meant to to out of to to have an acknowledgement of the burden uh, on on time that medicine takes, and so we want to be truly a partner to your process. I think that's so critical. I mean, one, it's as you know, it's so frustrating, you know, dealing with you know banks and not just banks, not to pick on them, but just a lot of businesses. Like you can't, you know, you can't do it like that eight to five or nine to five. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't so- work. It doesn't I mean, work. You, you need to use like your vacation time or, or something. And then they're closed on the weekends. And so I, I think that's really fully encompassing your guys' full mission statement, which is understanding, you know, everything that it takes to, to become a physician in that. And also the, the constraints that you have both financially and time-wise. I think that's that's amazing. So do you guys provide like uh, counseling? Because, you know, I'm even starting to get it where I get all these you know, I'm sure you probably still get them, you know, these messages, these cold messages from, you know, financial advisors or, you know, lenders and things like that. Do you guys provide those types of services as well? We're like kind of coaching, you know, young physicians through this process. We not financial advising services. We, we work with financial advisors that, that focus on doctors and we'll be able to provide their clients with loans. But as a new borrower enters our ecosystem, they are welcomed by a physician member of our team if they want to be. Some docs just want to get their money and they want to do it in the middle of the night and not talk to anyone. But the ones that do, particularly the, the in-training doctors, we we will offer them a call where a doctor on our team explains, hey, set up auto pay. They'll get an interest rate discount 
and it prevents you from ever being late. If you have a hardship or an issue, let us know proactively because we don't want to have any adverse credit reporting for any of our members. And so we're able to kind of talk them through the responsible things. A part of our application process requires that we look at their free cash. So we don't want to give folks loans that'll make that'll strangle them. If we see that your free cash is above a certain ratio, we will lower the amount that you borrow to ensure that you've got enough liquidity to service our loan and also live your life as well. Um, and so there is some, some advising that happens, but it's not formal financial advising. It's more of peer coaching or, or you know, mentor-mentee relationships. And I'll tell you, um, our, our borrowers come back. Like I've, I hear from them often about other things, you know, hey, doc, got your loan. Thank you so much. Seven months ago, I just graduated. Who do you recommend for me to refinance my student loans? What do you think about a good uh, uh, MedMal insurance company? What do you know about Curie or, 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 or MedPro? And so we're, we're, we know that the that the, the the need for those resources exists within our community, and it's our goal to provide that in the in the in the medium term. I think that's, that's incredible. I mean, especially having a physician, you know, that both understands the lending options, that kind of landscape, but then also understands what you're going through. You know, because there's a lot of great financial advisors out there, but you know, they they don't necessarily know what what we're what we're going through, what we're facing uh, as physicians. So I think that's that's an incredible you know, unique aspect to your company as, as well. I'm curious, you know, how, what are kind of some of the typical loans you see, especially for like the, the people in training, do you guys have like a minimum, a maximum, anything like that where, you know, and I guess what are kind of, I guess, I realize it could be a variety of things, but what maybe what are like some of the common things people take loans out for, from you sure. from Dr. Doc? Sure. So if someone's in training, they can borrow between 5,000 and 25,000 bucks. Um, and, uh, and if you're established, if you've graduated already, it's between, $5,000 and $100,000. Um, most common things are residency relocation. In this current environment, though, with rising rates, our rates are fixed rate. So it never goes up. Uh, once you lock in, it's locked in. A lot of folks are using our loan to refinance other variable interest rate debt that just started to balloon. So the easiest one, credit cards, is probably the number one use case to refinance credit card debt. Uh, but but others have... Um, uh, some business loans, merchant financing loans, you know, they've got 60 or 80,000 bucks in a merchant financing uh, cash transaction in which they're paying on that loan every week. It's, it's weekly draws, some are even daily. They'll, they'll refinance with ours. But then there are folks that are using our product for cryo, uh, O-site cryo preservation. Um, our, our, our female counterparts in long residency programs want to preserve their, their fertility. And uh, it's not covered by insurance, and so they'll they'll borrow from us for that. Um, fertility treatments. There are folks that use it for the life happened stuff. The their basement flooded, their car broke down. Um, not not for the purchase of a car. Because I want to be clear, this is a personal loan, um, not a not a car loan or a student loan or a mortgage. And the the, the distinction is important because those are collateralized loans with an asset. And it's a longer application process and more verification. But once you get through it, the rates are more competitive because they've got an asset that backs that loan. We're banking on the fact that you're a doctor that's employed and will remain in the practice of medicine. So we're not requiring any collateral. So we can make that decision pretty quickly. But but the, the actual interest rate is a little bit higher than if it were a collateralized loan. Interesting. Interesting. This may be a little bit of a facetious question, but I'm curious, do you discern on, you know, what they're borrowing the money for? Like, you know, could someone 
say, Hey, I want $10,000 for a Rolex or, you know, <laughs> or something, or, you know, to buy Mercedes Benz or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's going to be some amount of consumption spending amongst our population because there's so much delayed gratification amongst doctors, right? Like you're, the, you're kind of bustling, waiting to be able to have that splurge as soon as you get close to it. Um, we do ask for a reason for use of funds. And that's really for regulatory compliance, you know, and, and there's there's laws around, you know, what folks are using the, the, the borrowed funds for. That being said, um, it's for any personal legitimate reason. And so no one's ever said I'm buying a Rolex, but but we have no way of tracking if they do buy a Rolex with it. Yeah, no, very cool. Very cool. Um, I'm curious, you know, from from a the entrepreneurial perspective, I guess maybe walk us through, you know, obviously you're you're doing in, you know lending money. So I guess it's tar- as far as fundraising goes, how did you got, how did you and your team go about, you know, raising funds for this and, you know, what type of investors did you seek out and, and uh, you know, how, what kind of stage are you at with that as far as that goes? Yeah. Thanks for that question. Um, we initially, when we had the idea and it was an idea on a napkin, right. Uh, it was right around the time when the American society for anesthesiologists was hosting their annual convention in Boston and my co-founder and I, we were there uh, and we decided to get a table in the conference uh, hotel lobby, not a paid table. We sat at a table, like literally got a cup of coffee at the Starbucks in the lobby and set up a, a, a display to ask our peers, not if they would invest in a company that loaned to doctors, but to kind of stress test the idea. What do you guys think about this? Did you borrow money? Because we had some internal research that showed about 18 and 23% of all graduating medical students were borrowing money for relocation, for instance. We knew about a third of doctors were borrowing money doing residency at some point in time for some personal reason. Uh, we wanted to see if it was if it really did resonate with our peer group. And as we talked and engaged with, with anesthesiologists at this conference, the response was overwhelmingly, oh, yes. And if you guys started this company, I would write a check to invest in it. And so we left that weekend with commitments. You know, we think we're going to raise two million bucks. We left with almost over half of that in commitments from from our peers. Uh, and then uh, we began to to fundraise for for that that uh, friends and family round. We did uh, a two million dollar raise, and we were oversubscribed then. We then uh, about um, a year and a half later uh, did another. Uh, 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 raise and and got again just over three million dollars and did a bridge round last year and so we're still pre-series we're in the middle right now of contemplating our next round of financing of about 10 million dollars uh on a series a uh and we'll be tapping into doctor networks as well for, for that one um and uh and based upon our growth curve and how things have been evolving we're really excited about the interest uh, because um, uh, our partners are seeing the value in what we're doing, and we're we're now at the at the point in our company's life cycle where we're we're seeing minimal viable traction, and we're on to now scaling uh, the company as well. We've hired smartly, so I think to 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 Mark's uh, uh, point in the uh, podcast, you know, like we don't have all the answers. The doctors are are you know strategic. We're part branding and marketing and and the empathy quotient. But our CFO is former managing director at Bank of America Merrill Lynch, you know, Chris Kronk. Our chief risk officer, former Laurel Road and Sally May chief risk officer. Our VP of product, she comes from GE Capital and Synchrony Bank and Ascent Lending. So 
we brought the subject matter experts in as well. So we've got a, a pretty smart team that allows us to punch above our weight class. Uh, and uh, and we're thinking that um that we're, we've got a lot of, a lot of room to grow and we'll we'll likely do well in this race. That's really cool. And I think that's such a testament to your to your team and what you guys are building that you know you brought in these industry experts that they've they've come on board and invested as well. And it, and it's also a testament to, like you said, Mark, you know, I think one thing one follow-up I asked him during that interview was what may what what do the physicians who do it right do? And he said they understand that they don't know everything and they bring in people that do know what they don't know. So I think that's a key aspect of building a team right there. I'm curious as far as, you know the funding goes, do you guys have like a formal like office or I guess, how have you set up your operations? Like, do you have like a formal office and headquarters and all that? Or is it, have you been able to keep it virtual or I guess, how's that all uh, been going? Yeah, we're a completely virtual company. We're truly a fintech. Um, So I'm based in Atlanta. My co-founders in, uh, in New England. Uh, My head of marketing is in Florida. CTO is in San Francisco. But the entire, but the company, so the company's remote, but the operations are all kind of cloud-based. And so it's a, it's a, it's an online application, uh, virtual verification process. We lever technology in a way to enable us to kind of scale and grow quickly. Uh, and we lend um, in 40 to 50 states. We don't lend in West Virginia and Iowa. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's been, it's been great for, from a cost and expense perspective, not having the brick and mortar place to have to pay the overheads for rent. And during COVID, you can see what's happened with, um, lending companies that had a large footprint and and big office space. The layoffs have been terrible to read about in press in the last six months. Uh, we, we're not laying anyone off. We're actually hiring. We're able to harvest talent because of all the layoffs that's happened. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, you touch a little bit on this for my next question, but is you know, especially as the CEO, where where are you hoping to take this company in the next twelve months or so? Yeah. So in the next twelve months, um, we we have. An ambitious growth goal to double our origination volume, uh, to more than double our revenue, to increase our physician members uh, 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 by 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 just over double again there, uh, and to begin to offer additional products besides that personal loan. We are looking at having a doctor doc credit card with attractive um, rewards uh, and zero percent APR entry entry rate for our physicians. We want to be able to start to offer commercial loans, uh, the kind of loans that. You know, uh, an interventional radiology resident who becomes a, an attending and can become a partner in a practice. They have to use the buy-in and buy shares. Uh, we want to be able to fund that for you um, and not have the cap of 100000 bucks. And so a part of our value, we think, is to, to be able to offer tailored tools to serve our community. And so not just have, having one product, but multiple. Um, and enhance our engagement, our relationships with folks like Dr. Maxwell Cooper, Right. If you if you are a physician influencer and you care about the doctor journey and experience, we want to be a partner to you. Um, I think that that so often the others don't understand who we are, what we do, how we do what we do. And 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 having a level of familiarity with the fact that I know I see you in you in scrubs. I know that you've had a clinical uh, load today. Just the respect of your time in, in how we interact with each other on this podcast, knowing the kind of pressures you're going to have tomorrow editing this while also reviewing film uh for your for, for your day job it all it all is this kind of beautiful complication of of having disparate interests as humans the fact that yeah we've got really demanding uh careers but we also have this other part of our brain 
that gets fed by something else. And in your case, it's providing content and information to, to your peers and doing so in a way that's accessible to them, that they can listen to while they run or or drive into work in the mornings uh, and having guests that actually can resonate with them. The value of that, you know, it's certainly rewarding for your listeners, but there's value that you personally derive from it. And like you, I love my interactions with borrowers. I love my patient experience and, and, and what that feels like to bring re pain relief to someone. But I also love what it's like to hear that anxious borrower on the phone who's been denied for loans three or four times before they came to us and hear the relief when we say, we're going to fund this loan for you and your funds will be there in, in 72 hours. No, I think that I think that's amazing. I mean, it's it's one of those you're you're literally living living the kind of literally the the saying you know pay it forward in a way, <laughs> um, and then you know I think also just you know we're all in this we're all in the same boat together and helping us get through this. And yeah, I, I I echo what you're saying. I mean, it's I provide it gives me great satisfaction to provide you know great content to people, and and the feedback I get is like I was telling you is always so satisfying to hear that the people actually do enjoy doing you know listening to this and watching it and. Um, you know, and having hearing great guests and you know, like yourself and hearing your experiences. I'm curious, you know, the, I'm, I would imagine many of the listeners are curious. You know, you're a physician, you're an entrepreneur, you have your own practice. What's what's your split between all these? Like, how do you fit all this in? How do you how do you juggle it? You know, what's I guess what's your split between clinical and entrepreneurship, and and how how do you make that work, and how do they enhance each other? Yeah, um, it's a great question. One that our investors always ask, right? You know, like he will never write a check if you're if you're a part time uh, leader for a company that's investing in. Um, I uh, I have a CEO coach, and uh, I meet with him weekly, and we've done a time study to kind of figure out exactly how much time I'm spending doing the doc to doc business generating activities compared to my practice in clinical care. Um, I've been able to grow the practice large enough now where I'm able to hire enough resources where I'm in the OR clinically two half days a week and then administratively one half day a week. I spend about 32 to 34 hours a week uh, in in the clinic. And then um, I'm averaging about between 42 and 47 hours a week for Dr. Doc. Most of my time, Dr. Doc, if they're meetings, one-on-ones um, -on with my division leads, uh, it's external partner relationships or bank partners or, or VC warehouse facility uh, uh, funding partners um, uh, or our borrower uh, engagement um, and strategies around uh, partner development and B2B relationships. And so it's the kind of job that doesn't end at five o'clock, right? You know, I've got a lot of partners in the West Coast where uh, on some many days, my last meeting ends at 9 p.m., uh, 6 p.m. West Coast time. Uh, and so it's, you know, because the world is now so connected because of Zoom, uh, the, there's, a, there's a whole lot that gets done uh, virtually. Uh, I do have a pretty robust travel schedule as well. Um, uh, three out of four weekends this, this month, I traveled for Dr. Doc business. Uh, I've got two kids and a wife as well. And so uh, that becomes uh, challenging at times, but there's a, there's an, a kind of like an ebb and a flow to some of this. Like it's really busy right now because we're fundraising because we're kind of goal setting at the beginning of the year. And so it takes a little bit more out of me now. Uh, what in, in two months, it'll kind of normalize a little bit. And, and, and my, uh, my family understands that part of my life as well. That's yeah. That's amazing. Um, I guess the, the last thing is, you know, 
obviously you had an MBA, so you did a little bit of a head start, but I guess, um, where did, what, what's your advice for, you know, especially the younger physicians out there that want to develop their business acumen or develop their business skills? Uh, is there any like resources or like tips or anything like that, that you, especially looking back, you feel like would be helpful for kind of learning that those types of skills? Yeah, I think, um, I get this question, not infrequently from, from trainees, uh, should I do an MBA or not? Um, I think if you've got an interest in it, in business, and you know what your goal is, how you're going to use the degree, I think it makes sense to do it before you're done. Because the opportunity cost, once you're in practice, becomes so high. And it's hard to, to leave that money uh, to go back uh, to, to learn it. I don't think it's a requirement, though. Actually, I'm, I'm sure it's not. Uh, I didn't leave business school with the hard skills. Like I don't do our, our accounting for doc to doc or for my practice. Um, I don't, I don't actually do the marketing and develop the marketing plan, but you kind of learn how to be conversant with subject matter experts and how to enable folks to lead. And you're becoming a coach of coaches, right? And getting those skills can come from podcasts, can come from reading prolifically. I think Podcasts like this one, where you can hear the folks that are like you, that have done the things that you want to do, learn from their mistakes, so you don't have to make them yourself. And then be forgiving of yourself when you do make the mistakes, right? Because the journey is a part of the fun. Like, I'm not waiting for the exit from my practice or doc to doc to really enjoy it. It's a, the, the, the entire journey should be a part of what feels rewarding and energizing to you. If it's not, you're doing the wrong thing. So um, uh, I, I'm a firm believer in, in, in having um, kind of like a summer reading list for doctors because it's hard sometimes to get to like read consistently non-medical uh, texts. Uh, but, but you know, take some time to kind of feed your soul with, I, with either hard books, audio books, podcasts, uh, particularly in some of this content. Oh, I think that's great advice. I think you know, like you said, you gotta, you gotta enjoy the process. You gotta enjoy the journey. Otherwise it's not, it's not worth doing it. There's, there's probably better and more passive ways to make, especially when you get out of practice to, you know, invest and make money than, you know, building a business or things like that. That's uh, right. <laughs> I guess, but my last question that, that I ask everybody is, is when you're not, you know, doing interventional pain or, or building your business, what, what are your passions outside of all of that? If, if, and how do you find that balance if, if it's out at all possible? <laughs> yeah. Um, I am, I'm from a developing country. I'm from Guyana, um, under-resourced healthcare system, a lot of poverty. And I feel strongly about medical mission work. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, like I'll fly there for, uh, four days, four to five days, and we'll work clinically. We do cleft palate and club feet repair. I do anesthesia in the OR uh, for the surgeons that are, we take a team down with all the equipment and supplies. And you'll work for 14 or 15 hours a day, get back to the hotel late at night, and you'll go to the bar and the pool and you'll drink and hang out and then go back the next morning. And you're not tired. It's so fulfilling to see the faces of those families because it's a lot of kids. And the the gratitude and just the pureness of spirit uh, for the help that it's it's completely fulfilling. Now, when you're in the plane on the way back, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. But 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 being there doing it is 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 invigorating. Um, I've got two young kids and they're uh, five and seven. They love to travel, and so is my wife. And so we spend quite a bit of time exploring 
uh, uh, different frontiers uh, with them. So they've been traveling since they were babies. And so they're, they, they'll point to the map and they'll pick for rewards from doing well in school. They'll, they'll pick where the next trip will be. Uh, and, um, and, uh, my, uh, my daughter said she wanted to go to the Bahamas recently. My son wants to go skiing in Wyoming, in Wyoming. And so we're, we're headed there in Jackson hole in the next couple of weeks. So it's travel, it's family, it's medical mission work. Um, and, uh, and I feel like I've got some balance with those things. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It doesn't have to be a million things, just as long as a few things that I think, you know, you're like you said, you derive satisfaction from and are passionate about. Uh, I think that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Well, Dr. Marshall, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to be with us. And uh, again, you know, very proud to be an affiliate partner of of Dr. Doc and, and you know, definitely a big believer in what you guys are working on and, and glad to help get your guys' name out there and help more physicians out there. And uh, we'll definitely direct them to, you know, drdoclending.com slash DaVinci and then any anywhere else where people can find more about you and the company and connect. Yeah. So if it's doc, D-O-C, number two, doclending.com. Uh, and you can uh, find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, uh, at us. You can contact me directly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on all the handles as well. And I'm happy to, to speak with anyone about uh, anything uh, in terms of lending, the company, uh, even investing as well. That's great. That's great. We'll definitely link all that in the description. Um, and thank you again so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DaVinci Hour podcast presented by DaVinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.